0: Welcome to the ideas that change the world podcast with Rabbi Manis Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better. One idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Menas Friedman, please visit org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode, Rabbi Menas Friedman talks with Peter Himmelman.
1: What's happening?
0: Well, right now I'm in my recording studio mm-hmm. looking outside. My turtle, was it a tortoise, an African leopard tortoise, is just waking up. The fog is lifting, the chill is is kind of dissipating and he only comes out when it's warm and uh, whenever I see him eating the grass, which is his main food, I feel a little bit like my Grandma Rose must have felt when I was eating her kiggle I feel just a little bit of joy and pride. I know it's strange to anthropomorphize a tortoise, but I can't help it
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is very nice so we are here to talk about ideas that can change the world you have any ideas that can mm. change the world
0: well I, I can make something up right away um <clears throat> yeah i do i, I think we, i should just start right in um first of all we could talk about which kinds of ideas change the world most? And I, I will start, if I may, the discussion, because I, I certainly hope that it's not just me monologuing, which can be my way. Very often people take on lofty ideas and they, they, they put a lot of energy into them. And though I don't denigrate this idea at all, I will use this as an example, you know, sort of save the whales. That was things that you'd find on somebody's bumper sticker at one point. It's a great idea. I love whales. But if you're living in Minnesota and your whole emphasis is on saving whales, um, one has to consider how are you actually saving those whales? And perhaps in terms of really. Changing the world in a significant way—you're not—and and maybe you need to look at exactly where you are and the people that you are with and the uh, the things that you're doing minute by minute, day by day—and look into that more smaller box to see about making real changes that are maybe not quantitatively large, but but qualitatively significant and those are typically ones that are very difficult because they really insist upon somebody changing their habits, somebody putting aside their own immediate needs for some longer term goal or is assisting and empowering others, um, being somewhat selfless, which is not native to the human condition.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, very often, when we take on global cosmic issues, we're in some way or to some degree avoiding the issues that need our attention. Back. Mm-hmm. So it's an escape of sorts.
0: But I yeah, I was I was thinking the word avoidance as you are beginning to to say that, and it came with the same word.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But also, uh, I've been talking about this lately. Is it really against our nature? Is it not the human condition to be selfless? I want to challenge the the assumption that the human being is primarily inherently and uh, hopelessly selfish, Because when we think about it, all of our needs, even the most basic, like food and drink, and when we get down to who we really are, does eating really define what a human being is? Would we not be human if we didn't have to eat? Would we not be human if we didn't have to sleep? There's this unspoken assumption that, yes, that's true. If you don't eat and sleep, you're not human. I I don't know if that's really a correct definition of who we are.
0: Well, I, I would agree. That is certainly not the sum total of who we are. But I think we're wrestling with, and not to get too theological here, but sort of the the body and the spirit, you know, um, which which of which we are as human beings, comprised. So from a neuroscience point of view, by all accounts, I think this is completely factual, looking at sort of the body, which includes, you know, the the intellect and so on. I'm not talking about the spirit at this point. Um, The way that we are wired intellectually and emotionally, our default mechanism is self-protection. Our default is fear. Our default is getting for ourself and surviving. Um, that's a part of us, and it's very real. And for some people, that part predominates. Now, to get to what you're talking about, which, you know, is a higher level, It takes an incredible amount of work. And the reason I think it takes work, and I'm not arguing with what you're saying at all, I'm sort of supporting it, but the reason that it takes work is because this is a default of all human beings, this this need for self-protection, just this basic idea of survival. We're constantly on alert for threats. But as you're pointing out, the defining nature of a human being is something completely different. And sometimes people would say to me, there's a slight tangent here. I'll just try to swing back after a short tangent. Somebody would say to me, uh, I'm, I don't know how, how much you want to talk about Jewish things. I want to keep them universal here for your show, because I'm sure it's not only Jewish people tuning in, but you know, the Rebbe, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a great religious figure about whom some people have said to me, because I, I gained a lot of inspiration from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and some people had said to me, apropos of your point, well, the Rebbe is just a human being. He's just a man. And to that, I always would say, indeed, he is just a man. And in saying that, I was thinking about myself and thinking how closely related I normally am to a dog. And be, being a man or a woman, a human being, is is just not normative. It's something special. It's, it's having a certain mastery of our time on the universe. And it's the highest compliment to say someone is a mensch, which means in Yiddish, a man or a human being. Um, it's a different level.
1: Let me add to what you were saying. Mm-hmm. When we stop and think about our needs, there are two questions. First of all, what is a need? And secondly, what makes it mine? My need. If, if, if we had created ourselves if I had created myself, would I create myself with a need to eat three times a day, four times a day? <laughs> would, I, would I create myself with a need to sleep half my life away? I wouldn't. So I can't claim that this is my need.
0: Oh, interesting point. Mm-hmm.
1: See, I, I find myself saddled with this handicap. So it's, it's not my
0: need. need. It's a It's definitely a need, but to claim it as one's own and to take some sort of ownership over it is, you know, maybe not the best way to look at it.
1: Right. So it certainly can't define me because as far as I'm concerned, I don't need this. So the need Mm -hmm. to eat and sleep, I don't need. I don't want it. I don't like it. I didn't ask for it. On the other hand, what makes it a need rather than a handicap? Do I need to eat or do I need to outgrow the need to eat? Hmm. Like, you know, a guy's a surgeon and he's doing some uh, open-heart surgery or brain surgery, and he says, no, i got to stop and eat. No, I I need to finish the surgery. I'm a surgeon, but I can't because i got to go to sleep now so. well
0: he's overcome the need he's no longer looking at it as his need this need to eat it's it's a need there's no denying it but because he's not taking some ownership in it an investment in it it's far easier to sweep it away and get to the task at hand saving a life
1: right So the need to eat actually interferes with what I am and who I am and what I'm here for. So I'm I'm thinking that we're supposed to do everything for a godly purpose, like eating l'shem shamayim. eating for a godly purpose. I'm thinking eating for a godly purpose simply involves recognizing that I did not invent eating. This is not my idea. So the fact that I need to eat, this is God's will. For some divine reason, he needs me to eat and to sleep. It's his need, not mine. So when I do it, I should do it with an awareness that this is, this is how God designed me, not the way I would have designed myself. And secondly, if it's not my need, then it's not a need at all. It's a handicap. It's something imposed on me, whereas my need comes from me.
0: Well, what need does a person have? How would you define that?
1: So here, here's What, what,
0: are, what yeah. are a person's needs?
1: Okay, so here's the picture um, I think is, is going to become the future of psychology. We've always assumed that a healthy person is someone whose needs have been tended to. And if you're not healthy, it's because you have a deep-seated need that is repressed, it's subconscious, it's disturbing your whole system, and if you can just figure that out and solve that need, you will be healthy. I'm not sure that that's really the complete picture it's not going far enough i think if we went a little deeper into our into our essence we would discover that we really don't have needs because like like a child who says i didn't ask to be born what do you want from me i didn't ask to be born And that's true. We don't ask to be born. We don't want to be born because we don't need to be born. So if I don't need to be born, how can I need to eat? It's like the child who says, what do you mean I have to clean up my room? I didn't even ask to be born. (laughs) So how can I need to clean up a room? I don't even need to be here. And this applies to every need. How can I need to eat? I don't even need to be born. Of course, once I'm born, I can't help it. But I didn't ask to be born. I don't need any of this. So we always worked on the assumption that we must survive because we must live. I think what's going on in the world today with the suicides and with the depressions, and I think we're realizing that there's got to be more. I must do everything it takes for me to survive and continue living? Why? Why do I need to live? It's become that painful. And the answer is, you don't. You don't need to live, and therefore you don't need anything.
0: There is. I love this. uh, I love this suicide advocacy program you're into. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's a joke, by the way, people. Don't don't take it seriously. Don't quote that out of
1: context. Yeah, yeah. See, if you're secular, that that does sound suicidal or fatalistic, because. If my life is not important and my needs are not important, there's nothing left, because there's only me. But the real conclusion should be, if I didn't ask to be born, and I don't need to be born, why am I here? Someone needs me. That is so liberating. I am not needy, I am needed. I don't have needs, but I am necessary because of a divine need. And that I mean, it's, it's so simple once you think about it. Like, what are the first words in the Torah? In the beginning, God created the world, not me. <laughs> in the beginning means before there was me. <laughs> so it can't, it can't be that my life has its own independent significance, because in the beginning I didn't exist at all, and I didn't ask to be born, and I don't need to be born. I'm only here because a creator decided that he needs me. So what is a real human need? To find out what I'm needed for or in simple language, to find out what my purpose in life is. And, of course, my purpose in life has to come from the one who decided that I am necessary.
0: Now, let me ask you a question, if I may. How would you define, in the simplest terms, I mean, I'm going to give you one, you can use some commas if you like, maybe a semicolon, but in one sentence, what is your purpose? My purpose... And I ask, you're a person who's thought a lot about this, so, like, give me, a, give me a nice, clean, winnowed, pared-down version.
1: Okay. My purpose is to serve and fulfill the purpose my Creator has for me. What does He need from me? That's it. That's my...
0: Okay, p- and what, what have you discovered... And you're searching. What what specificity can you surround that with?
1: What I discover.
0: Mm-hmm. What is, you know is, what? What do you what what is what about you? Do you find where where do you find you and your sense of purpose, your your skills, and your you know how would you define that?
1: You mean uh, make it personal and purpose is gonna,
0: Yeah. It does get personal, and I and you know I think it's broad. I don't think it's untrue, but I think it's broad to say that you're you're you know you're serving the the needs of of a creator. But Rabbi Reichik said something to me, the elder Rabbi Reichik, at, at uh, the Levin's house in Santa Monica, it was at a Sheva Brach. Was, I was playing my guitar. And as I understood it, and I didn't really think about it much at the time or give it any kind of, didn't give it the, the weight that it I think it deserved. But he said, you know, you're, you bring joy to people. You bring joy and hope to people. He heard me playing my guitar for the, you know, it was ostensibly for the bride and groom. And... And it sort of stuck with me, like, well, that's the specific means through which I, I can, you know, aside from all the general vote that are for everyone else, well, that's my thing. And, and let me say one more thing on that level before I get personal with you. There was uh, a rabbi at, at some Jewish event, and he was talking about the same thing we're talking about, purpose. And and I and I, I disagreed with what he was saying um, it wasn't like anything horrible. It's something we've all heard before. Well, you know what your purpose is if you don't like to daven, for example, it's not your thing. You, it, you, it's not easy for you. That's your purpose. You need to work on that if it's really hard for you not to say and Hara, then you, that's your purpose, you need to work on that. And I, and I kind of raised in my gentle way an objection, which was like, well what do you say about your natural gifts and your natural resources? In other words, the things that I'm very good at and inclined to, why wouldn't they make up my purpose? Why do I have to look to the to the sort of challenges which reminds me of one more thing before i get back to your personal thing and here we go on a long tunnel tangent i once asked somebody in chabad why Mm. why don't they have bumper stickers that say no lash and hara what struck me as weird too those bumper stickers but somebody said to me well you know our our bumper stickers are more like you know Light Chavez candles. They're they're proactive, um, and that's the approach that appeals to me. Uh, if that makes any sense. So, where what is your specific purpose? Do you suppose?
1: Oh, I w- I would say the same thing as um, Rabbi Reich said to you. Where you see your greatest success and contribution that is probably your purpose and since we can't be absolutely sure we have to do all the mitzvahs yes to cover all the life but how do we know see rabbi reichich says you're making people happy and that could be your purpose how would we know that making people happy is part of god's plan How do we know that this serves his vast eternal plan?
0: I'm sure you have an answer.
1: Well, the only way we would know is from the Torah. Yeah. So the the Torah takes on a whole new meaning. If my entire existence is because he needs something from me, it's so necessary to assume that he communicated his need. So when I hear that the Torah was given at Mount Sinai by God, I say, oh, good. So that's where he let us know what it's all about.
0: So how would you find any sort of specific, you know, pasuk or, or precedent in the Torah, which would support this idea? And i do not mention it only for my own purposes, but for anyone listening, if they have their own special resources. How would I know that bringing joy and hope to people is something that's appealing to God? Where would I find that, do you suppose?
1: Yeah, because the Torah says that you will be thrown out of your land and you will be scattered all over the world and you will suffer terrible things because you didn't serve God with joy.
0: Mm.
1: Okay, that's pretty
0: strong. strong. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So for myself, I've been desperately trying to write. Mm. And I, I, I just can't. I, I I can't. It doesn't come out right. I get writer's block before I even start writing. It just doesn't happen. So it seems to me that doing doing these podcasts, running around the world and speaking the ideas is my purpose, and somebody else is going to have to do the writing.
0: Well, look, I don't want to get technical here, but uh, I just put out a book on Random House a year and a half ago, and not all of it, but pieces of it. I spoke, and I put, sent it into a transcription, and I kind of got back the raw data and fixed it up, and it sounded pretty good. You're a good talker. That's about you know? it. Well, that's not that. Look, there's no such thing as writing. Hmm. Writing is a delivery system for, for you know, the organization of ideas. It is it is not an important thing. Writing, it's 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 a it's a means of dissemination.
1: Yeah. And what's important is the it's a talent that I'm jealous of. Well, you
0: wrote, you wrote Does Anyone Blush Anymore? That's a good book. I just actually looked at that about a month ago. It's well written. Your voice comes through. Mm. And, well, let me ask you. I'm, I'm interested. What happened then that's not happening now? Why is it, why is it more difficult now?
1: No, well, I'm just always looking for a writer who could do that for me. So I just gave out another book called The Joy of Intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's well written, but not by me.
0: <laughs> what was was did you not write? Uh, does anyone blush? Did you have like a ghostwriter not to tell all your secrets? But like, yes, yes, yes. Was that
1: yes? It, it's it's a it's a very talented transcript of uh, a series of talks mm-hmm. on relationship and intimacy. And and when same, you write. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you sit down and write, let's say, or or first question is is do you sit down to write, and if so, what happens technically? Like you sit in a chair and I don't know, you write it on a computer. What happens?
1: Uh, I can get through a couple of paragraphs and then I read it and I don't like it and. Uh... It just ends with but, that. You know, you, you, you could
0: use some help from me. since this is an auspicious Hushgaha uh, practice that we're speaking now. What you need to do, I'm going to give you this little thing which helped me and in my songwriting as well, is you give yourself 15 minutes. It's not a tiny amount of time. It's not 45 seconds, and it's not an hour. And you set your timer for 15 minutes and you write, and you write, and this is really key, and this goes back to the thing we're talking about in the beginning, the threshold, the foundation, the uh, sort of the default of human beings is fear, and self-criticism, and survival, and what's Why would writing have anything to do with your mortality or survival? Let me put it to you like this. If you write something that's not good, or I do, or anybody does, we go out on a limb. There's a chance that we won't do it well. And when it's not done well, it will be received poorly. And we will feel a sense of shame, which no human being likes. The reason we don't like shame is because the consequence of real shame and even sort of phony shame, like our shame about writing a bad paragraph or something is basically the same thing. The consequence of shame is abandonment. And as a incredibly social species, if you want to call human beings a species, we abhor the idea of abandonment uh, with all our being, because we will die by ourselves. So when you sit down to write and you edit as you write, it's a fear of your own mortality. What you need to do is recognize this fearful voice inside you, which I call MARV. It's an acronym for majorly afraid of revealing vulnerability. This voice is there to help save your life in a fire or a firefight or from a from a rabid you know snake or something i don't think snakes get rabies It's rabid raccoon that would he this marv character which is a function of your amygdala in your primitive limbic brain system would make you take action because you could die from these things but he works overtime because he sees this mortal fear as well in even writing something. And what you need to do is say, Mara, thank you for saving my life, dude, but go get yourself a cup of coffee and let me write for 15, 20 minutes or an hour and come back later to haunt me. And you'll see by recognizing the, the sort of good that this primitive brain instinct does for us, it, it's there to save our lives. But you have to be a parent to it. You have to, you have to say, hey, thank you for, for your help, but I'm doing this now. Look, there's no way in the world you can't write. And this is the podcast is turning out like it's turning out, so don't worry about it. But because you can speak, you can write. Writing is simply a function of recording the thought. The thoughts are already emerging as speech. Writing is just another delivery system, but you got caught up in it, as we all do. You could write a thousand books, 100%. Simply recognize this fear idea. You're already an excellent writer. Why? Because you're a great speaker. You're, the rhythm of your words is there.
1: Peter, that is brilliant. And I like I like your friend Marv.
0: <laughs> Marv is like you know but, everyone's like I've got to kill this internal critic. No, you don't. You kill yourself. This is the this is the piece of your brain that's keeping you alive and surviving. But if it's t- and this really relates on a sort of a spiritual level in some way to what we're talking about, if you're sort of in the thrall of this Marv metaphor. You're majorly taking... afraid of revealing vul- vulnerability right. you're going to stay in this primitive place yes you're and going it's... to be the human the part of the human that's selfish
1: and, yes, primitive. and that and that contradicts the whole idea that we really don't have needs and that it's really not about me
0: but mm-hmm. it's a it's a hundred percent about me but you know we we do need or we do in order to serve our purpose we 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 need to stay alive,
1: right? In so, order
0: to serve God, and Marv is helping with that. But he's such a damn good helper that he's he works way, way, way too hard.
1: Yeah. So we're using. There's a writer
0: I know. Sorry, this guy Kenneth Turan. is He's a L.A. Times film critic. Great guy, super yid. He teaches a class. Basically, the whole class is a write, a class on writing because he's a journalist of all sorts. The essence of the class is—I mean, he could—he could teach it in—in in one sentence. Sit in a chair, shut up, and write.
1: Yeah. But here's here's there the thing. There are people we were talking yeah. about. We were talking about finding your personal purpose in life, and do you go with uh, overcoming your resistance, or do you go with your strength? So I'm just using it as an example of. Should I make all this effort to write or should I just talk more?
0: You know what? It's a really, it's an excellent point. And that is a really good point. You say you want to write a lot of books. What's the difference? Do a lot of podcasts. Do a lot of speaking. Mm -hmm. Make transcripts of them and don't waste time. Your purpose is, look, I could define your purpose right right away. Because you helped me so much. I asked you, how do you get married? how do you go on? And you were eating soup at the old city cafe in St. Paul.
1: Yeah, I remember that. Taking t-
0: little, <laughs> yeah, it was quiet. You know, you're pretty quiet and you'd like a lot of pauses between sentences for people to think about things. And you said, you, you reduced it down. And, and soon I will get to what I think your purpose is. You reduced something that was so complex and so challenging to me, you know, uh it was such a time of tumult in my life my dad had just died and i got this huge record deal and i you know had all these relationships that were not you know fit to move ahead with and you you said to me through these bites of soup well you uh, you simply have to ask her to marry you boom now, what you did, I'm just feeding back what I think the essence of what you bring, you simplify truth.
1: Well, that is certainly a good example of it.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's the essence. I mean, I, I kind of follow your work and I, I, we don't talk enough and we should talk much more. But what you do is you take these very complex ideas and without destroying them, without diminishing them, you make them simple. And, and one who can do that well, it's not that you're lazy and just need a quick answer. It's that you understand them. You have clarity around the issues and you share that clarity. Like you said that thing to me, and it's not, only, it's not only a word. So the transmission of a word in a book is, is, we try to make it more than one dimensional, but it's not. The better writers do. But because of your body language, because of the information, because of the rhythm of your speech, that simple sentence meant so much. I should say that Mare Abbasera, who who had so many, many gifts, um, and explaining to, to your listeners who he was is nigh on impossible. He is a uh, Moroccan Jew. I think he's the great grandson of the Kabbalist, uh, what do they call him? A- Abu Kassira, the great rabbi. Baba He's a poet. Baba Sali, the Baba mm-hmm. Sali who is said to have come on a carpet to Israel or, you know, things. Mayor Abbasara was a bit of a poet and a mystic. And I mean, I love the guy. I really did. And he said something at the same time to me, which he, he did make it simple. He goes, What? They're talking about marriage. I'm like, How do you do it? He goes, oh, Peter. <sighs> You you have a mariage. He was French. You have a mariage, and you break bread at night. It's a euphemism, and in the morning you make pancakes. Oh, I see. It's it's not as fraud as I'm making it, is it? But that's such a valuable thing that you do. It's like the world is mired in unnecessary complexity. The heart surgeon that you spoke of earlier, yeah, there's, it's complex and those things don't get simple. You gotta know a lot. In fact, you have to know a lot in order to make things simple too, but it's such a, it's such a service that you provided for me. And I see that that is something of the essence of what you do. It's natural for you. It's native. And whether it comes out in a book or not it makes zero difference.
1: That's why uh, it's so important to be talking to you, to doing these podcasts. And we need to do it more.
0: Yeah. Are you in Minnesota more than in New York? Or where are you? Or shouldn't, shouldn't your public know your whereabouts?
1: Right now, I'm in New York renting an apartment. And uh, a lot of good things are happening. But, you know, home is Minnesota.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm going to be there in a week or two weeks for the Women's Convention, International Women's Convention. And uh, try to make a difference. That's what we're talking about. Ideas that can change and make life meaningful.
0: Well, well let me know. I did a thing uh, for women they were like uh, i don't remember what it was women for shandy jacobson uh-huh. did it in long beach and talked about this marv idea let me know if you ever want me to come aboard one of these things cuz it was very
1: successful that's a great idea it's a great idea okay so let's let's summarize is it possible that we have been hung up on our hang up <laughs> We've been hung up on what hangs us up, and we need to move past it. As the Torah says, I was created only to serve my creator. That is a fantastic psychological insight to the truth of a human being.
0: I, I feel, I don't only hear that, I feel that. I feel it so much. Now, look, I'm not successful at achieving that by, you know, as successful as I could or should be. Nonetheless, it is so true and it's so simple and it's so compelling. Say it one more time.
1: Um, If we're pursuing our purpose and feeling needed, then our own needs kind of at least soften and become less important and less okay. less frustrating and produce less anxiety i think trying trying to be what we don't need to be is is doomed to failure and it's got to make us miserable so i think psychology has been pushing us in the wrong direction take yourself seriously validate yourself love yourself solve your problems look out for number one
0: well Well, i mean psychologists pay you know spend a lot of time and money in school and uh it's not like they don't do great work for people at times but you know they're also trying to keep employed
1: well they're they're very useful i mean this
0: this kind of this kind of idea would put a lot of people out of work. I'm not saying there's any sort of nefarious plot here. But no. the complexity becomes uh, over examined and we become enmeshed in it to the to the extent that we we feel it's the only option. And here you're presenting the general outline or at least pointing in a direction which is is new it's it's novel and it may be ancient but in in terms of you know comparison to psychology or, or the general feeling about psychology today as you said validating your needs and getting them met how best to do that this contravenes all that it pushes it gently aside and says you know along with that there's something else to think about
1: Or This idea of of what
0: what our needs are, are not really ours, is one of the things I've taken away from this. They may not even be ours.
1: Right. Right. So psychology is a uh, therapeutic method for people who are in trouble. It doesn't necessarily constitute a philosophy in life.
0: It's such a great point. And when you're sort of out of trouble maybe that would be the time to embrace a new paradigm right? to keep you out of trouble the next time, Mm -hmm. you know, to sort of use that, ah, this is that open feckin' space where I can now sort of climb a bit.
1: Yeah, I think that could really change the world.
0: And then it's small. Again, you know, I always talk about you know, the green peppers in the grocery store, you know, like you're, you're in the grocer area, the vegetable section, like you see somebody, you know, it's, it's subtle. I mean, you can do this and be really obnoxious, but there's, there's just a way to, to see somebody and just recognize their humanity. It's a fraction of a second. And people are so hungry to be seen, and that's just something that I, I mentioned as a almost a, as a joke, the green peppers aisle, the grocery aisle, but it just tells tells you how ubiquitous the opportunities are to get to this higher level. They're they're everywhere, and most of them should be done in one's own home. These are the people that are most deserving and most hungry for our affections and attention and our giving to our spouses our children our friends and then we branch out from there yeah
1: if we get into the needed mode then we are available to serve not only the creator but our community our our spouses our our mentors we're in the serving mode rather than in the needy mode, and you're much, uh, much more pleasant company that way.
0: <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, that's what put me to work. And I remember a, a great, one of the world's greatest songwriters also made it simple: "Got to serve somebody." <laughs> no, even even more so. Got to serve somebody.
1: Everybody's got to serve somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's. Uh,
0: this is not get more true than that. Well, I got to break off and talk to somebody at 11 o'clock, and, and I don't. Well, look, he may be an interesting person, but, man, if he's coming after you, he better have his game on.
1: <laughs> Thank you for the compliments, and let's do this again.
0: All right. I will talk to you soon. Thank Zeig you, so isn't. you. All talk. right, man. It's bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: If you want to support
0: It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manis Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manis Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world.